Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Hello, Las Vegas and everybody listening to the podcast, wherever you may be. Great to have you with us again this week as we talk about the debate. The first presidential debate has come and gone. We're going to break down just a little bit of that. But first, before we get started, of course, as we found out this week, the president and first lady have the COVID. And uh, we are, of course, praying for their full and quick recovery. Everyone has thoughts and opinions on this whole thing. Some people are like, oh, this is Trump getting to COVID and he doesn't even have it. It's just so he can be like, see, it's not even a big deal. I survived it. No big deal. Everything is fine. And other people are like, oh, my goodness, the president is going to die. And other people are like, he's just trying to get out of the next debate. And everybody has a take. But, you know, let's uh, let's take a step back and let's remember that what we should be doing is what I never thought I would say this. Rachel Maddow is doing. She tweeted when it was uh, known that the president and first lady had COVID. She tweeted, she said, God bless the president and the first lady. If you pray, please pray for their speedy and complete recovery and for everyone infected everywhere. This virus is horrific and merciless. No one would wish its wrath on anyone. We must get it spread under control enough. So she threw in some politics there at the end, but not in such a way that it was... Mm, you know, not it, it wasn't it wasn't mean hearted, mean spirited, anything else. Reverend Jesse Jackson tweeted, "We sincerely pray the president and the first lady do not have the worst of this disease. We must all pray for the full recovery of the president and his wife. For whatever religious or political persuasion you may be, we must all pray as millions of people are affected by this disease." Hmm. And then Piers Morgan. He had some choice words. I won't be able to read his whole tweet on the air, but he said, Interesting to see those who've spent the last few years screaming that Trump's an uncaring, heartless, empathy-devoid bad man now are spewing gleeful joy that he and his wife had a deadly virus. There's no better... They are no better than the man they loathe. So there is also that aspect of it. A lot of people saying things that are just not appropriate about this, but that should be our response. Whether this was the Bidens, whether this was the Trumps, whether this is our neighbor, whether this is our enemy, the response should be, we do not wish ill on anyone, including the President of the United States. And whether or not you like the President of the United States, they're still the President of the United States. And so therefore, uh, we pray for the President and his wife's uh, speedy recovery and that their family would be protected as well. It will be interesting to see if this has any effect on upcoming debates, particularly the one on, what is it, October 14th? 15th, October 15th. So it'll be, I it's either going to be like the day after he finishes quarantine or postpone. It's going to be real close because I think they confirmed it yesterday. I know he got tested Thursday. Got tested on Thursday. I'm not sure when the official announcement was, either Thursday or Friday, and when the 14-day quarantine, depending on how you count it, starts, but it's going to be, that's going to be real close. 
So we'll we'll see if they use this as a we're not going to have a second debate move or if the debate will go ahead as scheduled. And we'll talk about that at the end of the program. But as for the first debate, oh my word. Guys, it was <laughs> it was awful. Both sides. From both sides, it was awful. And I know that everybody is spinning this their own direction. Big Trump fans are like, Trump did so great. Trump did wonderful. Trump is a fighter. Trump is amazing. And the Biden people are all like, see, Biden presented, presented a clear alternative. He was calm and cool and collected. He was compassionate. He was focused on you, not on Trump. He wasn't in a... No, guys, it was... It was not good. It was not good. Okay, I and I I have a strong, very strong conviction about who I'm voting for, and it is one of these two people, and I'm saying neither one of them were good. I think I have watched every presidential debate of my adult lifetime. I'm, I'm a political junkie. It's what I do, okay? But I have never seen anything like what happened this past Tuesday night. I mean, Trump interrupting was just awful. Like, it was so bad. But, that said... Before I jump all over anybody, go back. Go back and watch the actual debate from the beginning. Don't watch the whole thing. Don't, don't, don't suffer through that. But watch like the first five minutes and you'll notice something. The, in the first five minutes of the debate, Trump gets the first question. He gets to speak uninterrupted for two minutes. Then Biden gets to speak and he speaks uninterrupted for two minutes. Then it goes back to Trump. And in Trump's next answer, Biden interrupted him three times. So, was Trump the interrupter-in-chief? Yes, he was. But the fact of the matter is, Biden started it. <laughs> you could say Trump ended it, I guess. But Biden, Biden started the interrupting. Okay, Trump was way worse. There, was, there were 90 interruptions in 90 minutes. And that's not including when they were talking over or re-interrupting each other after the interruptions. Now, this is just the times that they interrupted Chris Wallace uh, or when they interrupted each other when the floor had been specifically given uh, to the other one. 90 interruptions in 90 minutes. Just the, just the, the initial interruptions. It was exhausting. Of those 90 interruptions, 71 times they came from President Trump. And look, interruptions aren't necessarily uncommon in debates, okay? And the way the format's supposed to work, they're supposed to each get two minutes, and then there's supposed to be a discussion moderated by the moderator. Uh, there, there should be a, a period for rebuttal. That should be allowed, and, and that didn't seem to be given for some reason. I don't know if they just never got to it because there was so much interrupting. But that should, that's what Chris Wallace's job was. Like, you're supposed to let them each present their statement and then let them each respond to what the other one says. Whew! I mean, the rules of the debate commission, this is what the rules are. Uh, Chris Wells referenced these, so I'm going to read to you what the actual rule is. It says the moderator will open each segment with a question, after which each candidate will have two minutes to respond. Candidates will then have an opportunity to respond to each other. The moderator will use the balance of the time in the segment for a deeper discussion of the topic. So the interruptions themselves aren't necessarily a problem because there's supposed to be rebuttal and there's supposed to be discussion after the initial statements. But good grief, Charlie Brown. This was just insane. It was like watching... Somebody asked me... They didn't watch the debate and they were like, alright, so break it down for me. I was like, here's how the debate went. It was like two 12-year-old boys trying to explain to mom why the other one broke the window and how they did it. And trying to keep themselves out of trouble. Like, it was, it was just... It was... Oh, it was so frustrating. Like, we did not gain anything. America did not gain anything, in my opinion, from this debate. 
And then there's the whole, did Biden, was Joe Biden wearing a wire? Personally, I, I don't think so. I think that's kind of a stretch, guys. Though it did seem, not I, I don't mean this disrespectfully, this is just a casual observation, but it did seem that Joe Biden was much more focused and on point and coherent than he has been recently, which is, quite frankly, good news for all Americans, since there is a chance that he could be running the entire country very soon. I do find it disconcerting, however, that he won't take a drug test, but that's a whole other issue for another time. I think what we saw happen, this is just my take, and I've seen a lot of different takes. This is the one that I was thinking about during the debate, and I've seen a couple other people bring it up since then. But I think that the Trump team, when they looked at this debate going into this, I think there was some strategy there of if we push Biden's buttons, if we go after him hard, if we antagonize him enough, this will provoke some of the, not, I don't know if provoke is the right word, but, but he'll reach a point where he won't be able to keep up, that this dementia that he seems to have will kick in, and then everyone will see it on national television. I, I could be wrong, but I felt like that might have been what they were going for a little bit, but that didn't work. Instead, what we had was Joe Biden, who kept reminding us about billionaires getting richer and how we at home are getting poorer, but never telling us exactly how his bank accounts are doing, though. We never heard about his 401k or how his uh, stocks are doing. No, just 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 those evil billionaires. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess we can do some fact checking. I don't really. I. Ugh. Frankly, I didn't even know if I wanted to do a podcast about the debate because it was just so awful. But we'll we'll do a little bit of fact checking here, and then we'll talk about some of the like the low low points. I I didn't see any high points in this debate. I really didn't. So I'm not sure that we'll get to any of those. But we had some some lower low points. But I'll I'll fact check a couple things, just because you can go and read about them. <laughs> it's amazing to me how biased most fact checkers are. Like it's it's. I, and I love when you when they, they put a statement and then they're like, this needs clarification. Like, instead of just saying true or false, they're like, let us explain to you what they actually meant. No, that's not your job. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to let that go. Um, so, one of the big ones, uh, Biden said that he does not support the Green New Deal. On his website, it literally says, quote, Biden believes the Green New Deal is a crucial framework for meeting the climate challenges we face. It powerfully captures two basic truths, which are at the core of his plan. And then it goes on to talk about the basic truths. So uh, that's just completely uh, false from Biden. Then we had uh, Biden said there was a peaceful protest in front of the White House. What did he do? He came out of his bunker, had the military do tear gas. Uh, it actually was not the military. It was law enforcement personnel that used chemical irritants to remove peaceful protesters, if you want to call them that, from Lafayette Square outside the White House on June 1st. There's also no evidence whatsoever that Trump was inside a bunker at the time when this happened. Although Secret, Servant agents, Secret Service agents had put the president in the bunker a few days earlier when you had hundreds of protesters outside the executive mansion throwing rocks and trying to break through police barricades. We, we did see that happen. Um, then you had uh, Trump call out Biden on uh, Bernie Sanders and his manifesto, and now you're disavowing it, and Biden said there is no manifesto. Uh, the fact of the matter is, in July, the Biden-Sanders Unity Task Force released a 118-page document. And, and this thing is just, you can find it too. Uh, Unity Task Force 
recommendations. It's a PDF on JoeBiden.com. It is filled with far-left radical policies that the Biden campaign uh, has embraced and that they released together with with Bernie Sanders. It's the Biden-Sanders Unity Task Force. Now, they did not phrase it. They did not call it a manifesto. That is simply the word the president used. But he did... I, I don't know what you call a 118-page document that is a unity task force. This uh, task force included uh, AOC, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, and Castro sympathizer Karen Bass. So, there you go. Those were some of the big ones. Uh, from Joe Biden. Uh, President Trump, few of his, uh, he said that the Portland, Oregon sheriff just came out today and said, I support President Trump. Uh, that is not in any way true. The sheriff of Multnomah County, Oregon, where Portland is ro- located, said he does not support uh, Trump. Instead, he tweeted, as a Multnomah County sheriff, I have never supported Donald Trump and will never support him. So that one is uh, is pretty blatant there. Um Trump said that we're going to have our military delivering vaccines and that we are going to do 200,000 vaccinations a day. They're going to be delivering. It's all set up. That is not true. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is responsible for executing the plan uh, and distributing vaccinations when the time comes. The Defense Department is helping in the planning, but overall is not going to be delivering. And that's according to the Department of Defense. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, I'm trying to, there was, there's so many, I'm just scrolling through different ones. I want to get to, uh, uh, there was some big ones. Okay. Uh, Trump said, well, there's, there's so many from both sides. Like if you actually read unbiased fact checkers, you will see that they have, uh, both sides telling false truths, mistruths, half-truths. But Donald Trump said, I'm the one who brought back football. By the way, I brought back Big Ten football. It was me, and I'm very happy to do it. Now, the president did call for the Big Ten Conference to hold its 2020 football season, but he wasn't the only one. And uh, the (laughs) fans, students, athletes, college towns, others, all urged the conference to uh, resume play. Uh, Joe Biden said that violent crime went down 17-15% in his administration. Overall, the number of violent crimes fell roughly 10% from 2008, the year before Biden took office as vice president, to 2016. But the number of violent crimes was spiking during Obama and Biden's final two years in office and increased by 8% from 2014 to 2016. Um... And there's, there's more we could keep going. Uh, Trump said that Biden didn't do very well on the swine flu, H1N1, you were a disaster. The fact of the matter is these two, in my opinion, are not comparable. I don't think that we should be or can even really compare coronavirus and H1N1. H1N1 was not a global uh, situation. It did not have the predictions that coronavirus had. I mean, does, does has everybody just forgotten that, like, at the beginning of this thing, millions of Americans were going to die? Like, we were all going to die? Has everybody forgotten that? I Granted, in 2009, I was in my... Well, let's see, how old was I in 2009? 25, I guess? Somewhere around there? I don't know. I'm not ready to do math today. I was, like, 25-ish. But I don't remember a a global situation where the media was telling us that we were all going to die. 
Now, that could be because it wasn't an election year, far be it from me to say there might be any sort of politics related to this thing. But I just don't I don't think that you can equate the two when one was presented completely different than the other. Now, it is true. Uh, that two weeks after we had children in, I think it was California, diagnosed with H1N1, the Obama administration declared a public health emergency, and the CDC began releasing anti-flu drugs from the national stockpile, whereas Trump declared a state of emergency in early March, which was seven weeks after the first U.S. case of COVID-19 was announced. Biden said that uh, he went in, Speaking of Trump, and he, we were insisting that the Chinese, the people we had on the ground in China, should be able to go to Wuhan and determine for themselves how dangerous this was. He didn't even ask President Xi to do that. In fact, the Trump administration tried to get American officials into China in early January. Uh, Joe Biden didn't call for sending experts into China until February 25th, 50 days after the president had said that. Uh, Washington Post and FactCheck.org um, have both debunked that one. You can find it on factcheck.org, Biden's false claim on Trump's response to coronavirus. Um, I think that's where that's where we're going to stop. If you want to do more fact-checking, you can go and do more fact-checking. I would encourage you to find fact-checkers who are fact-checking both Trump and Biden, because, you know, that would actually be an unbiased journalism. If they're only che- fact-checking one side, it does make me question if they have some kind of alternative motive. Um, and I, I found it amusing that Biden said that <laughs> Trump should get out of his bunker when he's been barricaded in, in his basement or somewhere for seven months, avoiding interviews in the public and any sort of scrutiny whatsoever. But uh, he also said that uh, President Trump was the worst president America's ever had, called him a clown, other names. Um, clearly, we aren't teaching history anymore, because James Buchanan, Woodrow Wilson, Lyndon Johnson, and others might beg to differ on the worst president title. But, you know, also calling Trump a racist I found a little bit amusing when it's the guy that said that Obama was a well-spoken black man and that poor kids could be just as smart as white kids. To me, that just, you know, okay. And we'll talk about Trump's uh, Trump's failure to condemn white supremacy in just a second. And some of you are screaming, he did nothing! Just, just wait for it, okay? Um, so the low, low points. Let's hit on them, and then we're going to wrap this up because there's just not... I don't know how you talk about a, a bad debate for <laughs> incredibly long periods of time. But the moment I think that we really needed to hear from Joe Biden, we did not get to hear. Chris Wallace asked Biden if he supported ending the Senate filibuster or if he supported putting more than nine justices to the Supreme Court, as many on the left have been arguing recently. Biden avoided the question and responded, whatever position I take on that, that'll become the issue. The issue is the American people should speak. You should go out and vote. Trump immediately interrupted and said, are you going to pack the court and who's on your list, Joe? A.K.A. who are you wanting to appoint to the Supreme Court? Biden's response was, would you shut up, man? This is so unpresidential. What? I? And then, and then they just let it go. Chris Wallace just let it go. That was the question that we needed answered. What kind of Whatever position I take on that, that'll become the issue. What? What is that? Whatever I decide is what I will decide. I mean, this is like when Joe Biden said during the debate that Joe Biden has a plan and he supports the Biden plan. But he never told us what the Biden plan is. 
But that was the moment that America needed from Joe Biden, and he missed it. Whether intentionally or not, he chose not to answer the question, and I think it is an important one in the minds of any voters who may be in the middle or undecided at this point or waffling a little bit. Okay, We need to know. Who does Joe Biden want to put on the Supreme Court? That will tell people a lot of things. Not only that, but if he gets elected, does Joe Biden want to have more than nine Supreme Court justices? These are important things. These are actual issues, actual questions, actual policy matters that we should hear about in a debate. That was like, that was the missed moment. Uh, for Joe Biden, and not just because those on the right need to hear this, but because, like I'm saying, if there is anyone undecided right now, that is a question that I would think they would want answers. Uh, Trump's big misses uh, came when he let Biden put COVID on him. He should have struck back hard on that one, talked about the governors who shut down the economy, talked about Cuomo and Wolf and others who put elderly in nursing homes with COVID, since that's where most of our deaths have come from. But, of course, the other real low spot came when he was asked to denounce white supremacy, uh, which he's actually done repeatedly. In fact, Chris Wallace asked him pretty much the exact same question in 2016. I believe it was John Roberts. I forget who. There was a reporter that had asked him the exact same question, I think, just a few days before the debate. may have even been the day before the debate. So I don't know, I don't know why we keep uh, asking this question. But... Um, Here's the actual exchange, okay? Then we'll break it down. So Wallace says, okay, you have repeatedly criticized the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa and other left-wing groups, but are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha, as we've seen in Portland? Are you prepared specifically to do that? Okay, so Chris Wallace specifically asks him if he would say that they need to stand down. Trump responds, sure, I'm prepared to do it. I would say I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right wing. So he's like, yeah, sure, I'll condemn that. Uh, but what I'm seeing is not violence from those people. It's from the left. Wallace responds, so what do you, what do you say? And Trump says, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see peace. And Wallace said, then do it, sir. And Biden taunts, jumps in, says, say it, do it, say it. And Trump says, you want to call them, what do you want to call them? Give me a name, give me, Wallace chimes in, says, white supremacists and white supremacists and right wing, and Biden says, the Proud Boys. So Trump, listening to all this clamoring, responds, Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. There is his problem. He should just left it at stand back. Leave out the standby. But he says, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left because this is not a right-wing problem, this is a left-wing problem. That is factually correct. It is not Proud Boys that are destroying, looting, pillaging, burning things down right now. Are Proud Boys causing problems? Yes, they are, but they are not the ones that are wreaking havoc on our streets. Now, that said... This should have been a very simple response from the president. He should have said, I denounce, I condemn, I abhor, whatever fancy word you want. He should have just said that uh, to white supremacy, the Proud Boys, the KKK, whatever group you want. Now ask Joe if he'll denounce Antifa. Or Antifa, however you want to say it. And that would have been a good moment. But it wasn't a good moment at all. And it's been blasted at us ever since. Because the president just should have made it a simple, flat statement. Just... I denounce the Proud Boys, the KKK, whatever supremacy group you want. Now ask Joe if he'll denounce Antifa. <sighs> and as for Chris Wallace, I'm, I'm not going to say much on him here, although I, I because I, I think that his bias was hard not to notice. 
But to my memory, during the debate, he did not ask Joe Biden a single question about any of the failed policies of the Obama-Biden administration and nearly nothing about his U.S. Senate career. That doesn't happen in a debate. It just doesn't happen. A good, a, a good journalist does not do that. A good journalist asks questions. Instead, what we had was a zero-substance debate because there was, there, there was no direction. There was no... It, it was just talking, talking, talking. Zero answers, in my opinion. Except that apparently they hate each other's children and growing up in the suburbs is the equivalent of thug life now. Half-truths, mistruths, misleading statements abounded from both sides throughout. Even though they're, but their speaking time, their actual speaking time was pretty evenly divided. Trump had roughly 39 minutes and Biden had about 38. So that, that surprised me because I didn't think that it was going to be evenly divided. But, you know, and originally before this debate happened, I was kind of surprised that Biden's team was going to let him debate. But after watching this earlier this week, I, I let him debate. And nobody's going to change their mind from this circus. Nobody, in, in my opinion. Um, but in the second debate, in case you're excited about it and the president is no longer in quarantine, the second presidential debate is scheduled for October the 15th. That is a Thursday evening. It will be in the same time frame, 9 to 10.30 Eastern or 6 to 7.30 Pacific. It is going to be moderated by Steve Scully. Scully is the political editor at C-SPAN. He's the host of Washington Journal. He once worked as an intern for Senator Joe Biden in college and then as a staff assistant in Senator Ed Kennedy's communication office. He tweeted, no Trump, not now, not ever, once upon a time. And so, you know, there's absolutely no journalistic bias there. So this should definitely be another really good, uh, really fair debate. If you're interested in the vice presidential debate, that is going to happen this coming Wednesday in Salt Lake City, October 7th. Like the presidential debates, it will also run from 9 to 10.30 Eastern or 6 to 7.30 Pacific Time without any commercials. So thank you guys for listening. If you tune in for this, I'm sorry that we didn't... i sorry. I'm sorry that we didn't have a more pleasant conversation together. I just... I didn't think it was good. I know that there are some... A lot of people that disagree with me, depending on which is their candidate, they think their guy won, they think it was great. I, I did not think it was great. I didn't. And I, nope, nope, did not. So I couldn't, I can't. <sighs> Anyhow. Next week, we're going to talk about voting. Early voting is about to begin uh, in Nevada and has begun in some states already around the country. We're going to talk about your voting rights. We're going to talk about your options for voting, specifically in Nevada, because things are going to get really dicey here. Uh, We're one of the states where everyone's going to get a ballot. Um, We also have ballot questions here in Nevada uh, that would amend our state constitution. Some of them are very tricky. Some of them are downright... um, yeah, I read through them yesterday and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to be talking about this before people get to the polls and don't know what they should or what they're walking into. So we're going to talk about ballot questions. We're going to get you prepared so that you know what you'll be voting on and who you'll be voting for before you step into the booth or fill out your mail-in ballot. So be with us next week as we go over those important things. Hope you and your family have a wonderful weekend. If you're here in Las Vegas, you can join us for our socially distanced service on Sunday at 8 o'clock, 9.45 or 11.30. Sorry, we changed service time, so still getting used to that or you can view us online by visiting our website at experienceliberty.com see you next week